You're listening to SermonCast, the online preaching ministry of Hope Hull United Methodist Church. Be sure to visit us at hopehullumc.org sermons, where you can subscribe to future episodes of SermonCast and browse our archive of past messages. Thanks for tuning in. The Christian faith has been a missionary movement from the beginning. Now, we tend to focus on the well-known figures, don't we? The Peters and the Pauls, the ones who show up in those major letters in the middle of the New Testament. We focus on the folks who seem to be kind of the celebrities of the first century church, the apostles who are getting the attention and who are charting new territory and who are planting churches all over the Mediterranean world throughout the Roman Empire. And sometimes, though, we forget that the apostles and the folks' names whom we know didn't do the work single-handedly. They weren't the only ones engaged in the mission. And there is evidence, as we see in 3 John, that there were other groups of Christian missionaries, some of whom, many of whom, most of whom probably, we've never heard their names. And yet they were doing the work and traveling around and nurturing the church, perhaps planting churches and depending on support from benefactors. And they were doing the work that was required. And most of them, we don't know their names and we don't know their sacrifice. Third John gives us a small piece of that story. It's the story of a certain leader in a church. We don't know exactly where, but we do know his name, Gaius. And the letter comes as something of a thank you note almost, because Gaius has received into his home a group that John calls the friends in this translation or the brothers in some other translations. And he's cared for them. They are on a journey for the sake of Christ. They're missionaries, perhaps church planters, evangelists, and they're depending on the generosity of believers in various places to be able to engage and execute their mission. And we don't know their names, but we do know that the Apostle John is deeply, deeply, deeply grateful for the hospitality that his friend Gaius extended to them. And we are reminded, we discover that the success of our mission, like it does for Gaius, depends on the gift of ourselves. The success of our shared mission depends on the extent to which we are offered to Christ and to those who are engaged with us in the ministry of the gospel. The success of our mission depends on the gift of ourselves. Now, a little context is helpful. Gaius appears to have been maybe a disciple of John or a child in the faith, because John says in verse 4, he has no greater joy than 
to hear that his children are walking in the truth. And so he's affirming Gaius because he's been caring for this band of traveling missionaries, and apparently he's gone above board, over the top, in his generosity and his hospitality to care for them. They're not depending on support from outsiders. They're not depending from unbelievers. They're depending on uh, believers, Christians in the communities to which they go to care for them and to support them. And Gaius has offered that. Now, this was apparently a pretty common thing because into the second century and early in the life of the church, but in the second, third generation, fourth generations, they began to get some stipulations about how much you could, uh, how much generosity traveling ministers could receive. And so apostles were told in one document could stick around for a couple days and other kinds of folks could stick around for uh, three days. And, you know, the idea was we've got to put some safeguards in against the freeloaders. And we see that develop very early in the church. Paul mentions in Philippians folks who were sort of um, <clears throat> taking advantage of his imprisonment. And so there's this sense that maybe some folks saw opportunities in Christian ministry to sort of take advantage of the situation and get something off of other people. And Paul warns in the Thessalonian correspondence about, you know, if folks don't work, they don't eat. And he's kind of warning against this kind of handout mentality. He's kind of warning against, he wants to see generosity, but he doesn't want to see it abused. What we have here is someone who has shown extravagant generosity to a group of John's dear friends. And maybe he's gone above and beyond the expectation. It certainly looks that way. And because of that, John sees his role, even if it's small, as a crucial aspect in the success and advance of the mission of these unnamed ministers, these unnamed missionaries. And what we begin to see is how in the early church, it's not just this personality, it's not just Paul the celebrity or Peter the apostle. Yes, those men stepped into leadership roles. Yes, they stepped into the leadership roles that God called them to embrace. But their popularity, well, Paul wasn't always popular, but their name recognition was not the crucial thing that the advancement of the gospel depended on. We pay a lot of attention to Paul, but Paul is constantly describing in many of his letters the network of people whose names we easily forget that he depends on their support. And I can't come, so I've got to send this person. And be sure to say thank you to the people in this community. And I was cared for by the Macedonians, and they supported the ministry. And you get a sense, if you read carefully, and Third John is the same way as so many other letters, that the gospel didn't advance because of a couple of celebrity preachers. The gospel advanced because there was a network of Christians who were sacrificially committed to giving themselves for the sake of the gospel. And that's what we find here. John says, I was overjoyed. This is 
verse 3. I was overjoyed when some of the friends, the brothers, this traveling band of Christian ministers, missionaries, they arrived and they testified to your faithfulness to the truth. They are living in to their calling. They are living in to, Gaius is living in to this calling to care for and build up the church. And John is writing this letter of gratitude, sort of a thank you note, to say thank you for this over-the-top expression of generosity. They have, tested, they have come back and told me about how faithful you are. Now, isn't that the kind of reputation a church ought to want to have? Don't you want people going around saying, let me tell you how faithful the folks over in Hope Hall are? Because churches do get reputations. I had this conversation with someone just a couple of days ago. Uh, Preachers get reputations, and churches do too. And some churches have better reputations than others. And that's nothing new. It's been that way since the first century. And Gaius is the kind of person who's giving whatever church he was a part of a good reputation because his life was marked by faithfulness. John says in verse 3, he was faithful to the truth. And then in verse 5, you do faithfully whatever you do for the friends, the brothers, even though they are strangers to you. And you get the sense that he is living into the sort of character that we heard about over and over and over again in 1 John. Just to illustrate a couple of verses that will be easily remembered. 1 John 3.23 This is his commandment, Jesus' commandment, that we should believe in the name of his Son. Excuse me, this is God's commandment that we should believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as He has commanded us. So Christianity, yes, involves belief, and there are fundamental core doctrines that we affirm, we sing, we celebrate. I love the second song today because of the just deep Trinitarian language. Praise the Father, praise the Son, praise the Spirit, three in one. Pay attention. We are in that adoring and celebrating the essence, the being of God mysterious and beautiful and glorious and that's a truth and we're committed to it and we believe it but that belief isn't just kind of a a thing that happens in our brains John wants that belief to be translated into our living because the Father the Son and the Holy Spirit live together in eternal relationship of perfect self-giving love The Father loves the Son and the Spirit. The Son loves the Father and the Spirit. And the Spirit loves the Father and the Son. And John says that belief in this deep reality that God in His essence, in His eternal being, is self-giving love should drive us to love one another. Like this is what it, this is the character that defines God and the people of God. And Gaius in 3 John embodies that character and John sees that and he understands that the mission that depends on that sort of living like it's crucial 
If churches want to be a part of the global mission, it involves that sort of self-giving love. And so John sees Gaius as embodying that, and he's grateful for it. And so he writes to say thank you and express his gratitude and affirm that. And the thing for us to see is the way Gaius embodies this self-giving nature of God, this self-giving aspect of God's character. He gives of himself. He gives of his home. He brings them into his home, offers them his food, a place at his table, a bed under his roof to care for them for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of Christ. Another verse in 1 John that resonates with this. Chapter 4, verses 11 to 12. Beloved, since God loved us so much, we ought also to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and His love is perfected in us. And so again, you have this deep sense for John that being a follower of Jesus isn't just ticking a list of beliefs. I believe in God and I believe in Jesus and I believe in the cross and I believe in the resurrection. That's crucial, but it's not enough. It's essential, but it's not enough. For John, the love that is revealed in the gospel and in the cross has got to be taken on board. It's got to infiltrate our bodies. It's got to infiltrate our minds. It's got to permeate our being. It's got to be consistently renewing us and consistently growing in us and consistently bearing fruit in us. And Gaius, John says, embodies that character. And because of that, the church mission is going forward. Again, not because of some really well-known preacher who can attract a crowd, but because members of the congregation embody the character of God. That's where the mission happens. That's where the mission grows. That's where the mission expands. And this is important to remember because we live in a day where celebrity preachers are a thing. COVID made it even more of a thing. Like you, you don't even have to go places to church shop anymore. You just sit down with your phone on your couch and shop every church in the world. And you find a preacher you like. You don't have to worry about if the people are nice or not. You don't, you don't even have to go in there. They may be some of the meanest people in the world, but it doesn't matter because you don't have to go find out. Do I like that sermon? Do I like that style? Do I like the music? Does this fit my preferences? And we sort of get into this mentality that really shows up in all these other aspects of our lives where the celebrities drive things whether it's politics or public awareness, whatever it is, public awareness, that, that sort of filters its way into the church and we have certain preachers that like they just get it done and they make it happen. And that's massively unhealthy and it's not really how the, minute, how the mission is accomplished. The, yes, there are leaders who gain attention in the New Testament. 
but all of them depend entirely on the larger body of Christ offering itself in love for the sake of the mission. And it's about time we start paying attention to the folks whose names we don't know. Who just said, you know what? I'm going to follow Jesus. History may not remember me, but the gospel matters more than anything. And so that's what we find here. We find people compelled by the love of Christ. We find people who have experienced just this stunning reality, this stunning depth and presence of Jesus' perfect love. And that perfect love is brought to completion in them so that everything is devoted. They could be doing something else. They didn't have to travel around the Mediterranean depending on different people's generosity. Who knows if they'll show up or not? Will we have a place to sleep tonight? Will we have food to eat next week? We've got a little bit in our bag, but when that runs out, will there be someone there, a part of the body of Christ, to care for us and help us? We can't depend on unbelievers. This was a day when the church was not widely known. Some people had heard about the weird thing happening around Jerusalem, and they're kind of spreading around a little bit. But it wasn't, it was a very different context where there weren't churches all over the internet and all every street corner. And these folks say, you know what? We've experienced Jesus, and that has changed our lives. And now we're going to offer ourselves. And you get folks like these unnamed missionary brothers, friends, who are in vocational ministry, but their vocational ministry is not going to be successful without people like Gaius, and we don't know what he did, but there's no indication exactly that he was engaged in some sort of vocational ministry. Maybe, maybe not. But the ministry depends on the partnership. It's not a one-man show. If the whole congregation doesn't come together to make the mission happen, Jesus is going to go find someone else. And if we want to be a part of what he's up to, then living into that together is essential. Absolutely crucial. Christ loved us and gave himself for us. And this means we know love. and We have received his perfect love. And that means that perfect love has to work its way into every aspect of our being. And when it does, we will find that mission is happening. Jesus' priorities will be our priorities. Jesus' values will be our values. And his love, his perfect love, will characterize our individual lives and our shared lives together. That sounds like a good place to be to me. Amen? So, look, it's okay to speak. I know it's rainy and it's early, but it's okay. Sounds like a good place to be in a community like this that embodies to one another 
and to the, to the world the perfect love of Jesus. Amen? Amen. The success of this mission, our participation in this mission, depends on giving ourselves to it. And this is something I really think we need to hear today. Don't underestimate the significance of unknown ministry. Do not underestimate the significance of unknown ministry. The church cumulatively changes the world because lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of Jesus-loving people offer themselves in ways most of us never hear about. You dads and you moms offer yourselves to your kids every day. I don't get a report on that to include a charge conference when it comes around. <laughs> you know, that doesn't go into the end of the year reports. Your children grow to love Jesus because you receive his love and embody his character and offer his love to your kids every day. Don't underestimate the significance of little-known ministry. These guys made it in the New Testament and we don't know their names. We don't know the churches they planted. We don't know where they went. We don't know if they died for the gospel or if they lived a long time and had decades of fruitful ministry. We don't know. But the witness of the New Testament is... Unknown ministries matter. Because we've got an apostle overjoyed about some people we don't even know their names. Others of you engage in ministry with other members of the congregation, maybe writing a note or making a phone call. Showing up when someone has a loss or a death or bringing a meal when someone has a baby. And no one's got, you know, an email going out, hey, so-and-so just brought a meal to this family that, you know, like, that's not in the newsletter, it's not on the website, but that doesn't mean it's not important. In fact, it's just as important if not more so. Because you can stand up and preach for years on the internet, but if people aren't actually embodying the love of Jesus, where's the fruitfulness? The ministry depends on the laity and the church giving themselves. If there's one thing that comes away, there's a lot of things that come away from these 15 verses, but the thing that we need to hear today is that bigger doesn't necessarily mean better. 
bigger does not necessarily mean better. Well-produced does not mean spiritually healthy. That doesn't mean we don't want to produce, pursue excellence. We want to pursue excellence. We're going to try to do the absolute level best we can do. But just because it's big and just because it's shiny and just because five million people show up to listen to it doesn't mean it's spiritually healthy. It may be. Doesn't mean it's not or is. The question, though, is, are we being faithful in the ministry Jesus has given us? Monday, Tuesday, every day, Sunday. In our homes, at our work, are we living into the character that is called for, that the gospel offers us in Jesus. Well, I mean, the, the same kind of idea, but a little bit different. I want to resist the notion that kind of big, shiny things are the only real valid ministries. Unknown ministries are crucial. And we also, John just wants us to see that, like, Global ministry happens in local contexts. We talk a lot about follow Jesus, change the world, but we won't actually do that if none of you do anything. <laughs> Amen? <laughs> like if we just show up on Sundays and that's it, we are not going to change the world. It just won't happen. If we're not committed to the discipleship path, Worship and connecting with other people for deeper community and experience of the body of Christ where he offers to us the mean, as the means of his grace, where he offers himself to us to care for us, to, to nurture our broken hearts, to correct our brokenness, to soften our hard-heartedness, to strengthen our resolve. If we're not committed to those deeper connections that come up in Sunday schools or midweek groups or band meetings, we're only going to be able to do so much. If you want to change the world, if you want a global impact, it starts with local, local ministries. Local churches have a cumulative effect that creates global transformation. But global transformation for the glory of Jesus doesn't happen unless local churches are deeply and unswervingly committed to following the Lord Jesus Christ. Together. Together. It begins in worship, continues in groups for formation, and changes the world when we commit to serving. I shared with you that one of our ministry partners needs some help right now. Uh, First Choice Women's Medical Center is expanding and they have a new location that's a little bit closer to us than the previous location. And they need folks to come answer the phones and fold onesies and a million other things that actually transform people's lives when they need hope, when they are in crisis. 
We'll have a graphic at the end of the service with the information. If you want to do what John is saying to do and embody the character of Jesus to people who are absolutely devastated in this area, and most people will never hear about it because it's confidential. That's what the kingdom of God is built on. And I can preach a thousand sermons, but if nobody says, I'm going to go care for somebody just like the Bible says to, what good is it? What good is it? In the next few weeks, our staff is going to be working to meet with other ministries in the area to find out who can we cultivate deeper, more substantial relationships with. You're going to get opportunities to embody the character that is celebrated in this short letter. We will get opportunities to embody the character of Jesus who loved us first and calls us to love one another and the world on his behalf. And if we don't, the mission will go on, but we won't be a part of it. How deeply, how deeply, how deeply I want our reputation in this community to be like this. And I'm encouraged. Earlier this year, Vacation Bible School, there was a, uh, a family that heard about Hope Hole United Methodist Church through their homeschool group and heard it was a strong church and a good church. And so they drove all the way from East Montgomery every day to come to our Vacation Bible School in Hope Hole. Because by God's grace, you are cultivating a reputation. And the word, the urgency, or the, the, the exhortation is to continue in that good work. We can't ever get lazy about it. We must be vigilant. And that comes more through individual church members touching the lives of the people Jesus brings into your path every day of the week than it does how much bandwidth we have on Facebook. Do you hear me? The success of our mission depends on the giving of ourselves. Our contribution to the global mission depends on a local church embracing a calling. To engage in ministries that may never be talked about. And those are the ministries that change the world. One life at a time. Those are the ministries that bring glory to Jesus. One person at a time. Those are the ministries that expand the church. One person at a time. Because if 60, 70, 80 people touch one person... Every week, 
imagine the impact. And if not just one church, but three or four churches, but 60, 70, 80 people, touch one person a week for a whole year, imagine the fruitfulness. And if a dozen churches, 60, 70, 80 people, maybe less, touch one person every week for a year, imagine the impact. There's this massive, cumulative effect that the Gospel creates. There's this massive wave of unknown believers who care more about Jesus getting glory than them getting credit. And that's what we find in this letter. Unnamed missionaries. You know whose name we do know? We know the name of the guy who got in the way. I've been practicing pronouncing this guy's name all week. I'm brushing my teeth, Diocrates. I got to it this morning and I paused because I'm like, I hope I don't get this wrong. John warns Gaius of this guy named Diotrephes. Written something to the church, but Diotrephes who likes to put himself first, is that embodying the love of Jesus? No. Does not acknowledge our authority. So you got John, who has beheld Jesus with his eyes and touched Jesus with his hands, but this guy thinks he knows more than the apostles. Is he embodying the love of Jesus? No. So John says, if I come, I'm, I'll call attention to what he's doing. Spreading false charges against the apostles. Not content with those charges, he refuses to welcome the friends, the, the brothers. Like, the missionaries show up and this guy's going, ah, no, we don't have, it's not in the budget this year. We don't have space for them. We got other things to do. It's striking to me that when we read 3 John, we come away not knowing the names of the people who were actually planting churches and extending the kingdom of God, but we do know the name of the guy who got in the way and tried to stop the kingdom for whatever personal reasons he wanted. Here's the thing to see, friends. The kingdom of God is upside down compared to the kingdoms of this world. Jesus made that point in his ministry again and again and again and again. It doesn't work the way everyone else works. It works when normal people experience the infinite perfect love of Jesus get so caught up in that experience of his kindness that they're willing to sacrifice whatever they have to sacrifice to make sure that the gospel advances. 
And for 2,000 years, the church has grown and the gospel has gone forward and the kingdom has advanced and Jesus has been glorified and millions and millions and millions and millions of people have met the Lord and we don't know their names. And untold numbers of people have been called to go on the mission field and we don't know their names. And untold millions of people have taken the conviction that even though they have a vocation, not in the church, they still represent Jesus 24-7, and we don't know their names. So the question is very simple. What is Jesus calling you to do that no one may ever hear about? Who is Jesus calling you to speak to about his perfect love? Who is Jesus calling you to care for in his perfect love. What ministry is Jesus calling you to take up? Maybe you've resisted. You know, I don't have the training for that. I'm not a good teacher. I don't have the background. I don't have the, 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 the certifications. I haven't got any experience. And still the Spirit of God in that soft voice says, this is what I have for you. This is what I'm calling you to do. I'm calling you to be my presence to men and women in crisis. I'm calling you to be my presence to the students in your classroom. I'm calling to you to be my life to the people you work with. What is Jesus calling us to do? And when we hear that, and we trust him, we do that with the confidence that his perfect love will be made complete in us. And how do we know? We can have that confidence because he gave us a meal. Of his broken body and his shed blood. You know his love is perfect because he died to give it to you. What is he You've been listening to SermonCast, the online preaching ministry of Hope Hole United Methodist Church. If you enjoyed this message, consider sharing it with a few friends. Remember to visit us at hopeholeumc.org sermons and subscribe to get notified when new content is posted. Thanks for listening.